So we have a special treat as we, we celebrate Pentecost together today. Our lay leader, Vince Slocum, is going to be our, our guest preacher today. Now, Vince is, in just a couple weeks, going to become Pastor Vince of the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church. We are so, so excited for him and for the Lake Fenton United Methodist Church. And we're grateful that we get to hear, that we get to hear Vince preach one more time be, before that happens. Uh, before Vince preaches, though, I'm going to invite you to open your heart and listen for God's voice as, as Marianna Langley shares with us this morning's scripture reading. Good morning, Court Street family. Today we're reading the Pentecost story from the Acts, second chapter, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, and smoky mist, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Court Streeters, and happy Pentecost. I'm so pleased to be here in our sanctuary at Court Street to deliver one last sermon before I transition on to a new pastoral setting. 
Now today, I'd like to tell you about the first project that I ever took on after hiring with the city of Flint. It was, it was a park cleanup project. You see, the wooded area of one of the city's parks had become overgrown, and brush and, and down tree limbs had had blocked off the city's mowing contractors so that they couldn't get in and clean up the, the wooded area of this park. And as a result, it was, it was starting to look a little disheveled. And, and so I decided that I wanted to do something about it. And, and as it happened, there was a church youth group from out of state on a missions trip in Flint in the area around that time. And their youth leader reached out to me and looking for service opportunities for, for her kids. And so I told her all about the project and the park. And, and she said, that, that'd be great. You know, most of our, our kids are, are white teenagers from fairly affluent suburban backgrounds. So, so getting this kind of exposure in, in, a, in a largely black and distressed community is really a tremendous and enriching experience for them. And, and so she was really excited. And, and we set everything up and we went out and I, I met them later that week at the park with, with a weed whacker and, and a chainsaw and loppers. And by the end of the day, we had gotten the entire wooded area of the park all cleaned up. And so I thanked them for their hard work, and I let them know how much it meant to the community and to the city and how much we, we really appreciated their service before, before telling them goodbye and, and heading back to the office. And, and when I got back to the office, I was still really excited, so I got my director on the phone and said, you know, I just got done with this really terrific service group that did did such a tremendous job out at one of our parks. You know, I've got a bunch of blank certificates that were left over in my desk. What if we got the mayor to sign those? And I, I took them out for the, the kids as a way of showing our appreciation. And and my director loved that idea. So she, she hung up the phone and made all of the arrangements. And I hot-stepped it over to the mayor's office and, and gave her my folder of blank certificates. And she, she went into the back room and came back out with, with signed mayoral certificates. Now, Dane, if you're watching this from home... I'm sure that you have no memory of these particular certificates that you signed. But I have to admit to you today that I had never been more impressed with myself than I was in that moment to be delivering mayoral certificates to esteemed community service members. And so I left the mayor's office and I got in my car and drove out to the church where the kids were staying. And, and I did what could only be described as strut up to the building as these kids came out. They had heard that I was coming with the certificates. And one of them in the confusion even came up to me and said, oh my gosh, you're the mayor. I had no idea that we were out cleaning up the park with the mayor. And of course, I dutifully and, and very theatrically said, no, 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 I'm not the mayor. I just pulled some strings downtown. Now, let's take a second to appreciate that, because that's a word-for-word -word quote. I just 
pulled some strings downtown, right? You could have tattooed that on my forehead, right? This was my life now. These were the kinds of important things that I said now. And so I gave a little speech again, thanking the kids for their hard work, and I passed out all the certificates to the kids, and, and then I, I left for home. And, and needless to say, on the way home, I was riding high, and I decided that I wanted to keep that momentum going. Now, I knew that there was a block club in the neighborhood around that church that that met regularly, and so I decided that I wanted to attend their next meeting and that I was going to introduce myself, let them know who I was, and tell them all about the great work that I had done and that these kids had done in in service of of their community. And and so later that week, I, I went to the block club meeting, and I, I sat down around the table with a number of, of residents of that community. And, and as the meeting got started, each one of them started off. They went around the table, and everyone introduced themselves until finally it came to me. And when it came to me, I stood up, and I introduced myself. I told them that I was from the city of Flint planning office and how I was going to be overseeing parks operations. And I told them all about how I wanted this to be a new day in parks and recreation. I told them all about the incredible work that I had done and that the service group had done. I told them all about the mayoral certificates that I had given out. And it was about that time that one of the women sitting around the table produced a water bottle from out of her purse filled with some of the most disgusting, dingy, brown-looking water that you have ever seen and dropped it on the table in front of me. Now, I imagine you can guess from here about how well the rest of this block club meeting went for me as a representative of the city of Flint in the very early stages of a rapidly evolving water crisis. What followed was 45 minutes of anger and frustration, resentment and pain as the residents of that community demanded to know who I was, that I felt I could come into their community, rail against the quality of their park, promise them the moon, and then heap mountains of praise all over a bunch of -of out-of-town suburban white kids while they and their families are fearing for the health and safety of their children and their grandchildren as they are now being forced to drink contaminated and potentially poisoned drinking water. What followed was 45 minutes of anger and frustration as I continued to plead with them, you've got the wrong guy. This was not my decision. I had no part in any of this. I answered them in the way that people in positions of privilege have long answered marginalized groups by saying, that was above my pay grade. I had no part in that decision, right? That was somebody else. Blame the governor. Blame the emergency manager. Blame the DEQ. But it was not 
me. The more angry they became, the more and more I deflected any responsibility. And the more I deflected, the angrier and angrier they became until finally, abruptly, the president of the block club informed me that I had answered all of their questions and that I was now free to leave. I've thought about those days a lot in recent weeks. I've continued to go back to that time as I prayerfully considered what I might say to you here today. Now, in today's reading, we hear the story of Pentecost. In today's reading, we meet the apostles at a moment of of indecision. They've just recently survived their first succession crisis as the group had to cast lots to replace the betrayer Judas Iscariot before eventually settling on a man by the name of Matthias. The group has just recently seen Jesus make his final ascension into heaven, and as we meet them in today's reading, they're together in a room strategizing next steps for their very small and vulnerable community. When suddenly the Holy Spirit descends on the room and divides like tongues of fire settling on each of the apostles, and as it does, each and every one of them leap out of their seats and go rushing out into the streets like a mighty wind. They shout the word of God at the top of their lungs. They preach the good news of Jesus' ministry and his teaching, his life, his death, and his resurrection to anyone who would hear. And as people pass by, they're amazed to see this crowd of uneducated, poor Jewish tradesmen and farmers confidently crying out the word of God, not in the Hebrew or Aramaic, which certainly would have been native to them, but rather everyone listening in the surrounding area heard them speak in their individual native tongue. Syrians heard them speaking Syriac. Romans heard them speaking Latin. Greeks heard Greeks. Persians heard Farsi. And all of them were amazed to see that in all all the noise, in all the chaos, every voice was somehow heard and every voice was being understood. In fact, many in the crowd were so shocked that they responded to this loud and disruptive public demonstration in the same way that loud and public disruptive demonstrations have often been met throughout history. They responded by trying to discredit it. This is nothing more than just a crowd of drunks, they told everyone. As they saw this miracle happening, they turned to their neighbors and said, calm down, stop, don't listen, don't buy into this narrative of salvation that they are trying to sell to you. I have it on good authority. I know those guys and I have it on good authority that this is all just an act. They are nothing more than just a disreputable, loud, belligerent group of drunken thugs just looking to cause trouble. Don't give them the satisfaction of listening to them. I've read the Pentecost story 
dozens of times. It's one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. And I always felt like I understood the Pentecost story. And yet, as I revisited the story in light of recent events, as I revisited the story in preparation for my sermon today, I found myself challenged and frustrated by the story in ways that I had never been challenged and frustrated by the Pentecost story before. You see, as someone who has long felt and now embraced a call to the ministry, I have always seen myself through the eyes of the apostles in this story. I had always seen myself as the one who would storm out into the streets, loudly proclaiming the word of God to all the nations of the world. And yet, as I revisited the reading in recent weeks, I couldn't help but remember that the apostles in today's story were a persecuted and minority group. The apostles in today's reading were a group that had just recently seen its leader, the very symbol of their small but growing movement, publicly beaten and flogged and left for dead to hang from a cross. They were a group that saw its first members dragged out into the streets, beaten and stoned to death by screaming crowds of soldiers and the religious leaders of the day. The apostles in today's story were a group that saw themselves locked out of the power structures of the political system in their day and age, all the way from the emperor on down to the local officials. You see, as I revisited the Pentecost story today, I was forced to acknowledge that for in this day and age, when black men and black women must fear for their lives when they go jogging out in their community, when individuals of color must offer silent prayers for safety and deliverance when they're pulled over on the highway, in today's day and age, when minority groups are not afforded the same rights and privileges under the law as individuals like myself are given. In today's day and age, we are not individuals like myself. We are not the apostles in the Pentecost story, but rather we are the audience. We are not the ones who are meant to charge the streets screaming, but rather we are the ones who are meant to hear. You see, my mistake all those years ago in that group after that cleanup was not that I had tried to make a difference in their community, was not that I wanted to come into their community and clean up their park, nor was it that I had invited people from outside of the community to help in doing so. My mistake with that group was in thinking that I could step in front of their community and act as though I were some kind of God-sent savior 
My mistake was in assuming that I was the answer to some long-held prayer for their community. My mistake was in assuming that I was in a position to determine what was in the best interests of their community and how to go about achieving those ends. My friends, the lesson of Pentecost has never been more alive for me than it is in this moment. And for me today, the message could not be clearer. You see, in this day and age, when the Holy Spirit is like fire, on the tongues and throats of oppressed and beaten communities all over the country. Individuals like myself in positions of privilege and authority. We are not the apostles in the Pentecost story. We are not the heroes of this story, but rather we are the audience. We are the ones who are meant to hear. And when God's presence blows like a mighty wind through crowds of persecuted and dispossessed populations all over the globe, we are not the ones who are meant to lead the way, but rather we are the ones who are meant to listen. We are the ones who are called to understand. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in a time of division, in a time of injustice, in a time of violence and disorder, we pray that you grant us the courage and the humility to listen, to understand, and to follow that we might be able to see you moving throughout the crowds, that we might be able to hear your words on the tongues of voices that are now being raised. Amen.